So, so we are in a series, um, and can someone make my screen work down here too, Dustin? I don't know. This one's not on. Um, thank you. Um, we're in a series um, talking about our 2030 vision, and um, we've been talking about our core values as a church, things that we believe as a church that if we will do these things, that they are really the identity, the DNA of our family. And so the first week was pursue God together. The next week was People Matter. Last week we talked about invest and invite, and today we'll talk about circles, not rows. And I'm going to kind of take a big risk starting out because last week I told you, or well, it was a few weeks ago, I told you some things that annoy me, and right after I got done and got into the foyer, everyone felt the need to come do those things. (laughs) But another thing that annoys me is when people invade my personal space. I, I like to have people at a little bit of a distance. And there are some people, and if you don't know anyone, again, probably bad news for you, people that get a little too close. And so on occasion, those people will come up, and I've kind of learned a trick in this that as they get too close, I'll kind of just step back, but I'll leave one foot there. But there's a problem. There's someone in this church, and you don't know who you are, (laughs) because if you knew, you probably wouldn't do this. But even when I do this, you kind of sidestep my foot (laughs) and still get too close. And so next time, when I step back a little bit from you, know that it was you. <laughs> but no, we, we don't like it when people invade our personal space physically. We, we want to kind of protect. And, and the reason we don't like that comes down to vulnerability. We don't like to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is simply the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. And we get it physically because it's so real to us that someone is physically invading our space. But the same is true emotionally. We don't like people to get in our space emotionally because we live within this tension of wanting to be known, but not wanting to be fully known. We want people to know who we are, but we don't want people to know everything we are. Because let's face it, there's some things in our life and in our past that we don't want people to know about because we're not proud of. And really that vulnerability is a protection. It's a a protection mechanism. And what's really at the root of it is not the vulnerability, but it's shame. And shame is a fear of disconnection. And it's simply this question, is there something about me that if others knew would make me unworthy of connection? Are there things about my life that if other people knew about me would make me unworthy to connect with them, that that would make them want to distance themselves. 
And really at the root of vulnerability is that piece of shame. We don't want to be connected because of the possibility of being hurt. Now, at the core, this is the story of the garden. This is what happens in Genesis. God creates man and woman and has this relationship with them, this intimate relationship where they're walking. And what really marked this relationship and the the authenticity and the purity of it is that they were naked and there was no shame. They they were walking. But then I want you to listen to what happens in in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. They realize that there is something about them that could make someone else push back to put up this wall. See, here's the truth. Fig leaves allow us to control what other people see. They allow us to control what other people see. And let's just be honest, all of us have a tendency to cover ourselves times. To cover what we don't want revealed about us. Because then we become vulnerable. Then the possibility of being hurt is evident. And here's the thing. Our brains don't differentiate between physical pain and emotional pain. It's pain. And our minds tell us at all costs to avoid pain. Back several years ago, um, I was in a little bit better shape than this, not just round. And that wasn't intended to be funny. I was riding bikes and racing bikes, road bikes, and I really loved it. Um, And then came my, I think, 39th birthday. I think probably in there. I think my 39th birthday, I was in a race, and someone who, Jeremy Schultz, if you know Jeremy, (laughs) we were riding, we were in a group, and we were going about 30 miles an hour, and Jeremy hit my front tire, and I was catapulted over my handlebars and slammed into the concrete, and thankfully I didn't hit my head, I just hit my shoulder and dislocated it and tore my labrum and had a road rash and just this horrible experience. Cammie decided to take a picture of me in the hospital. Thank you. Um, And here is a picture of my bike that was from that. And it really, really hurt. I I will tell you, um, there is nothing worse than taking a shower with road rash. It is excruciating. But I learned something really valuable that day, that pain is the greatest teacher. You learn a lot from pain. 
specifically how to avoid it. And so because of my torn um, labrum in my shoulder and surgery and rehab, it was about four or five months before I was able to get back on my bike and ride again. And I remember the very first few times I was getting back on and riding, I was so nervous, especially when I got around anyone else. And so I would just kind of hang back in the back and I wouldn't really get up in the group and just, I wanted to be by myself and have some space. Because I learned something really valuable in that moment months before. That if someone else makes a mistake, it could cost you too. And so I didn't want to get up there around other people where they could make a mistake that hurt me. And so I would hang back. A year or two after that, I decided to just give up bikes altogether. And I'll just tell you, the, the honest reason is because my kids, the age they're at, with four of them, we are constantly going. Um, we are at sports and events all the time, and I really don't have time to go ride a bike for three or four hours several times a week. However, when I decided that I was going to set that aside for a time, it was so much easier to do because of the pain I experienced then. It was so much easier to step away and say, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna, I might come back to that one day in the future when my kids are grown up and graduated. But for right now, it's not worth it. And it was so much easier because I had experienced that pain and I knew what could happen. And I didn't want to put myself in that place Again, I would imagine most of us do that relationally. Where you have been hurt and you start to put up walls. Walls designed to keep people at a distance. Because you've been hurt before and you don't want to experience that again. But here's the hard truth. Is relationally you don't get to experience the joy of relationship without the sorrow of relationship. You don't get to experience the, the celebration and love without the brokenness. You don't get to choose which emotions you will allow in and which ones you will block out. They are all or none. And so what we do is slowly over time as people hit us, as they break us, as they hurt us, is we push back a little bit more in all of our relationships. And we are willing to put ourselves out there just a little bit less every time till we get to the point where our relationships are so shallow because we don't want to allow anyone to see who we really are. Because maybe there's something within me that if other people knew would make me unworthy of connection. And so we protect ourselves. We keep ourselves safe. One of the things that I noticed from the book of Acts is there is this movement in the early church. From these big groups to these small gatherings. 
As you hear people who are giving their life to Jesus, they're moving closer in. And I think the reason for that is life change happens in circles, not rows. Sitting in a row, it's possible in a room this size to hide in wide open space. It's possible to be here and be known, but not really be known. Because people see you, but people don't really see you. They don't know who you are. They don't know what's going on in your life. But when you move from a row to a circle, when you gather, when you turn inward, and you begin to look across at someone else, now they can start to see you. Now they can start to know you. And I believe there is a very big danger when we push back from rows or from circles. When we say, no, I want to be a part of the rows. I'm, I'm good with being here. And in fact, for so long, that's what our churches have done. We want you to come be a part of our rows. We want you to sit in the pews. But when we went back to our 2030 vision, back in 2016, we, we kind of relaunched this vision. One of the things we said as a church, we want everyone to be in a group. We want everyone to have a circle because we want everyone to be able to be known. We want everyone to have a place where they belong. So what happens when we avoid the circles? And I want to go back to the book of Acts. I want to look at this story that I think is such a powerful example of what happens when we avoid that community, when we avoid circles. So chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Don't, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And the story is kind of confusing. It, okay, why is it that Ananias pays the cost of his life? Is it because he didn't give everything that he had from this land? And I don't think that's really what is happening. What's happening in this story, I think Ananias comes forward misrepresenting what he is doing. He's saying, hey, I want you to look at me and how great of a person I am because I'm giving everything I have from this cell to the church for its benefit. And the problem was, he wasn't. 
he and his wife had this idea. Let's take part of the money and set it back just to make sure we're okay. But then let's go tell everyone we're giving it all. And they're not. Remember, it's fig leaves that allow us to control what other people see. And in this moment, he hides part of who he is, of what he has. He lies about who he is and what he has. He covers himself up. And wonder how much of our lives is lived covering the things we don't want other people to see. Because maybe there's something within me that if other people knew it, would make me unworthy of connection. And so Ananias falls dead right there. Some men come and they pick up his body. They carry him outside the city and bury him. Then going to verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? She responds, yes. That is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Now, here's the scariest part of the story in my mind. And the reason it's so scary is because the same thing Ananias and Sapphira believed, we believe. It's we fear the consequences of confession far more than the consequences of concealment. We fear what could happen if everyone knew. If people saw who I was, what I had done, where I had been, would it make me unworthy of connection? We fear the consequences of confession far more than the consequences of concealment. The consequences of admitting we have a problem. The consequences of hidden sin or addiction. The consequences of confessing that we have a problem with lying or anger or pornography or alcohol. We're far more afraid of what everyone else will think than we are of what could happen 
if we hide who we are. And for Ananias and Sapphira, their fear of confession and choosing to conceal what they had done cost them dearly. And the truth is, it will cost you as well. And you may not drop dead immediately from it. But you will suffer an even more painful, slower death as you start to alienate yourself from other people. Because we were created to be in relationship with one another. That was our purpose here in this world. And yet the more we are hurt, the more we are dinged, the more we suffer the bumps and bruises, the more we want to distance ourselves from other people. One of the most difficult times of my life was really about six months ago. And I was sitting in the gathering on a Wednesday night with our shepherds. And I told them I have a problem. And for the last several months, I've been suffering with depression and anxiety. And even knowing those guys so well, I was terrified admitting it. Because there was shame that I'm the one who's up front and I'm supposed to have it all together and everything in my life is supposed to be right so that I can lead us. And the hardest words that I've ever spoken, I think, in my life were, I'm not okay. I am hurting, and I am broken, and I need help. And those men embraced me and loved me and cared for me and promised to walk with me. And a few Sundays later, standing up here admitting that to our church, that I've been struggling with depression and anxiety and I'm not okay, was excruciatingly painful. Because in that moment, there is the fear of shame. Is there something about me that if I admit this, if I tell other people that's going to make them distance themselves from me, that will make me unworthy of connection with them? And it's so often it's that fear that keeps us from entering into those relationships fully, from being ourselves, from pulling the fig leaves away. We're really good at covering ourselves and making sure that we're not known 
fully. Because maybe there's something about me that if other people knew would make me unworthy of confession, of, excuse me, unworthy of connection. But I found something really, really, really powerful in those moments. Sharing that with our shepherds and sharing it with you. And it's vulnerability is the birthplace of change. Because this last six months, I think God has done an amazing thing in helping me to get well and healing me. And going to a doctor and going to counseling and all that's been great. But I think the catalyst for that movement was simply saying, I am not okay. I'm hurting. I'm broken. And I need other people to surround me and walk with me. And here's the truth. Until we fear the consequences of concealment, more than we fear the consequences of confession, change will continue to elude us. Until we fear the consequences of concealment, more than we fear the consequences of confession, change will continue to elude us. See, and this was the power of the cross, that Jesus himself enters into our world, becomes one of us, takes on our sin and our shame, makes himself completely vulnerable, experiencing the shame of the cross, but still willing to do that, to enter into relationship with others, to invite you into relationship with him. And it seems like time and time again, that was the movement of the first followers of Jesus. They may hear the message in a large gathering, but their very first inclination is, okay, then we need to gather as his people. We, we need to be in this together. We need community. We need connection. We need other people that are going in the same direction that we are. And so as we talked about our 2030 vision, one of the things that we said, we want everyone to be in a small group. We want everyone to be connected. We want everyone to fight back against this tendency to be known, but not to be fully known. And it's not that you need to be fully known by everyone. I'm not a huge fan of, hey, come, come forward and confess your sins to everyone. But I'm a huge proponent of you must confess them to someone. It doesn't have to be everyone putting yours, but you need people that you're walking with. People who know you. Because if they don't, if you don't enter into that, the same way it cost Ananias and Sapphira, it's going to cost you. And so we want to push into relationships. And I want to talk about four different spaces real quickly. The first space is this public space. Marshall, just put them all up there. That slide kind of messed up. So one more click, I think. There we go. 
Um, there's a public space, which is more than 20 people. That's what this room is. This is a public space. And then there is a social space, somewhere between really five and about 20 people. And the, the purpose of a social space is that you can be seen, that you can have conversation, that you can have friendship. And then there is a personal space, which is like two to five people. And then there's an intimate space, a one-on-one, where you can really be known. And so often we wanted our groups to really meet us here in this personal space where we have connection. And it's almost like, hey, sign up for an intimate relationship, which doesn't always work. And so I'm so thankful for the Cliftons and the Deans, Brian, Richardson, Joseph, Dennis. They've kind of reimagined our groups and our focus and what we want to do through our small group ministry at Shiloh. And this has been in the work for the last two years, really. Um, And then something called COVID happened. I don't know if anyone's heard of that, but that kind of put things on hold. And so the last really year, they've been kind of diving into groups and what do we want groups to look like and what shape do we want them to take. And really, we want our groups to fill this social space. The primary objective of our groups is going to be to form solid Christian friendships and relationships. Because you can't force the intimacy, but intimacy can flow out of the friendships. And so there's, there's several things that, that are going to happen with our groups. We want our groups um, think smaller. Um, I don't even, I don't have these in my notes, Marshall, so there's three at the end slides. Thank you. There we go. Think larger, not smaller. So often we've always put small groups in eight to ten people. And it makes the relationships really difficult sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't work. Um, And so we're wanting our groups to be a little bit bigger, 15 to 20 people. Think short-term, not long-term. So often it's been, hey, we want you to sign up for a small group. Okay, how long is it going to last? When is it going to end? Well, when Jesus comes back, um, then we'll be done. And so we're going to move to more of a trimester system where our groups are going to run three months, and we're going to take a month break, and then we're going to re-sign up, and you can move groups or you can change groups, or you can take a break, and then we're going to go for another three months, and we're going to take another month break, and then we're going to jump back in. And the whole purpose is to allow you space to find relationship and find connection with other people. And then the last one is think friendship and not intimacy. We want you to, because we can't force the intimacy, but we can provide space for friendship. And I believe that the intimacy will flow out of the friendship. And so that's kind of the direction we're heading with our groups. We want everyone in our church to have a place where they feel like they belong. We want everyone to be in a group. Because in here, you can hide out in plain sight. But in a group, you can be fully known. You can allow yourself to test the waters and to make yourself a little bit more vulnerable, to be known and enter into relationship. So in the pews, on our website, I think Haley's throwing it on Facebook and the the message board, there's a place to sign up for small groups. We want you to grab the catalog and look through. We tried to come up with groups for every possibility. Uh, As Burke mentioned, there is a grief recovery group. There is 
groups that are sermon discussion. There are groups that are study. There are groups that are more game. There are groups that are men's and women's. Um, We even have a group that's going to be virtual only. Um, One of the, the greatest blessings this last year with COVID, or last two years of COVID, is our online presence. Because it is something that was not on our radar when you go back to 2019. And now we have hundreds of people every single week that join us online, many of whom don't even live in Tyler, Texas. But they would consider Shiloh their home. We have people who have placed membership at Shiloh who are simply online. And so we want to provide a space, not just for people who are worried about COVID and wanting to social distance, but also for those people who maybe live in a different city but consider this their home. We don't want you to just sit in virtual rows either. We want you to plug into our church, and we want to provide space for that. And so there are groups for you. And so we want you to find a group, and we want you to sign up. There is a sign-up card in the pews as well. Um, There are online. Go to shilohroad.com. Click the Connect tab in small groups. There are all of our groups listed, and we want you to do that today. We want you to make that a priority, to be a part of community. We want you to resist the temptation to put up walls and barriers and not enter fully into relationships within our church. We want you to connect. Because the same thing that happened to Ananias and Sapphira can happen to you. We want you to be in relationship with other people here who are walking with Jesus and following Him. Because life change happens in circles, not rows. Father, thank You for this day. We thank You for our time. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Father, that's so evident in You coming to this earth as one of us entering into our world, entering into our mess and loving us and embracing us despite all you learned about us. Thank you. And Father, I pray this morning, as a church, we will have the courage to be fully known. Maybe not by everyone, but by someone that we would have the courage to enter into relationship and begin to take down some of those fig leaves that we put so much hope in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the hope that it gives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.